Well, so far we have about 40,000 people ready to view around the world uh, waiting for us to go live. <laughs> Just kidding. Lord, we won't have that many in 50 years probably. <laughs> Just, we go live after the prayer, okay? So uh, let's pray. Lord, we love you. We love to study your word. Now open your word to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, Exodus chapter 20. This is a, should be a familiar passage to us. A lot of interesting things to be said about this setting and all, but uh, we'll just sort of hit the summarize on it, the summary. Elohim spoke all these words to respond. Now, this is a, this is a covenant law. This is, this is part of the covenant. What starts here in Exodus for Israel, okay, let's think, all right, let me think. I don't want to make an inappropriate illustration here. Um, we have a constitution. This is something, of course, this is way above our constitution. But this is a covenant between two parties. In case of a constitution, it's the, the government and the people. Well, in this case, it's Yahweh and Israel. Uh, and the preamble here is in verse 2. And it, it, it explains the two parties and then what's going to come out of this. Uh, which begins with number three. Now, the word commandment is not really found in the Hebrew text. It's, it's the word word. <laughs> so it goes in verse one, Elohim spoke all these words to respond. This is the beginning of the covenant law. It doesn't end here. We talk a lot about the Ten Commandments, and well, we should. Understand this is a covenant expression law between Yahweh and Israel. If you study history, you'll know that uh, there were other uh, legal documents that were established by kings or whatever going all the way back to the 2000s B.C. At least those are the earliest ones discovered. You'll even find, you'll even find some things that are similar to the to the words or the commandments here, but not exactly. But there's, but there's, of course, there's a great difference. Now, what begins in Exodus 20 continues in Numbers and is completed in Leviticus. Let me think about this. I think it 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 winds up being something like 613. Uh, words or commandments. So we start with the ten. These are the biggies. Everything else, everything else sort of hangs on these ten commandments. I'll explain that as, as we go along. But this is important because Yahweh says to Israel, this is how we're going to work this thing out. And this is how we're going to stay connected. And this is our covenant. And this is how you treat me and this is how you treat each other. All right, so... Uh, I am Yahweh your God 
who took you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Here it goes. Okay, that was the preamble. Now here it goes, the ten words. You shall have no other gods before me. The word in the Hebrew, uh, let me see if I can get that, uh, if I can get that thing to work like a, a laser pointer. The word, let's see, you shall have no other gods before me. The word here is Elohim. You see that word right there? Elohim. All right. Now then if you go right there, the you have to start counting from the right and go to the left. You have a hyphenated word here. Uh, and then Elohim. You see the word there. And you'll see that same word up here, Elohim. That's interesting because he said, you will have no other Elohim before me. Elohim said, you will have no other Elohim before me. Properly translated in the context, gods or demon gods, or whatever. There's another, there's another word, Elohim is another word. In the great context of the Old Testament, you come to realize that these are demonic uh, these are evil spirits that uh, are conjured up in darkness as gods. And the people were so in darkness because, not, not Israel, but I'm talking about, for example, we've been studying Egypt. And they had all these gods and goddesses, right? And the plagues attacked specific gods and goddesses. So they, the... In their, in their fallen nature, the worship of a man uh, possessed and energized and motivated, motivated by demons caused a depraved nature to worship anything that was important to him as a god. It did not necessarily, let's say, okay, you had a, you had a god... Uh, you had a sun god or a moon god, whatever. In the mind of the worshiper, it didn't necessarily go beyond his own boundaries or his own nation or his own culture. He really didn't think that far. It was just where he was and what he needed and how it was. This was a thing to be worshipped. Some of the some of the gods that are in the, uh, well, all of them really, but some of them in particular were very sensual, even erotic. The god, the goddess of fertility, for example, and others. And worship, the worship of those particular demonic entities included horribly perverted sexual behavior. Uh, and those same kinds of demons have been unleashed. Well, they're always there, but somehow they've seems like they've gained access in a wider and greater arena. I'll talk more about what I'm saying here when I get on down to the one of the particular commandments, but understand that the expression here is you've come out of a world where you have seen people who had a lot of reasons in their dark culture to seek worship in, in demon-possessed, 
demon energized uh, areas of culture. It could be uh, sun, moon, anything. Uh, and it had its own representation, you know, a frog or a whatever. Now, here goes. This is the constitution. This is the covenant, the covenant law between Yahweh and Israel. You shall have no other gods, Elohim. You shall have no other gods before me. There's one true almighty Elohim. Uh, and none of the others deserve worship. It seems that they can twist, they can twist the minds of people or whatever uh, to make it look like you ought to worship them. And it can become something that uh, it, it becomes foundational in the lives of people like the Egyptians. But it also shows that it's a stronghold and it shows that they are, they are trapped in their darkness. But this is, not, this is not to be applied to Israel. And already they've seen in the plagues that came upon Egypt, there's no such thing as a sun god, a moon god, a, a, a harvest god, a a planting God, a fertility God or goddess, uh, 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 the God of the Nile and all that kind of stuff. No such thing as that. You shall have no other gods before me in my presence because they don't exist in, in the same way that there's Elohim. There is Elohim. You shall not make for yourself to car us yourself a carved image or any likeness which is in the heavens above, on the earth below, or which is in the water beneath or under the earth. Well, that pretty much covers everything. You can't, you can't draw the galaxy. You can't draw a planet or carve it. You can't, you can't, you can't take a, you can't carve an image of a frog or. Or, or an image of any, you, there's, there's nothing in creation that you can make. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness. That means something painted on the wall. Or any likeness which is in the heavens on, uh, and so forth. Uh, in any part of the creation, you can't do it. Nothing in outer space, nothing on, on the planet, nothing in the air, nothing beneath the earth. Nothing in the water, on top of the water, nothing, absolutely nothing. You cannot make for yourself a carved image. In other words, uh, an idol. Something that uh, becomes very special with regard to worship, a thing. You shall neither prostrate yourself or, that is, bow yourself before them, nor serve or worship, the word means either one, nor serve or worship them. For I am Yahweh your God. I visit the iniquity of the fathers upon the sons upon the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but show loving kindness or covenant love to thousands of generations to those who love me and to those who keep my Commandments. Oh, my words. Okay. 
visit the iniquity of the fathers upon the sons, third and fourth generations of those who hate me. What do you think that means? Is it, is is this is that is that question beneath your dignity? You refuse to, you refuse to answer. Is it punishing the children? Who's who's going to raise my children? Me. How am I going to raise them? To match me. That's right. They're gonna they're gonna they're gonna grow up in my world. Uh, now, what happens on down the road, here's what happens. You, the world, a family, a culture, a nation cannot exist peacefully. It, it, it cannot exist in order. It cannot exist free of all kinds of troubles and problems if you give yourselves over to a, 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 a godless existence because uh, you're, you'll, you'll grow up and then you'll pass this along in a, in a chaotic culture. Somewhere down the road, they either, they either cease to exist because they've killed each other off, or somehow a leader somewhere is raised up and, and there's mass correction for the wrong direction. Now, this is my take on it. I tell people every time somebody talks to me about the present state of affairs in our nation, and in the world. And I tell them, I really am concerned for my grandchildren if the Lord doesn't come. I'll be dead, and they'll be in such a godless culture if there's not a checkpoint here somewhere. If something doesn't happen, um, and I, this, is sort of, this is sort of what's being said in verse 5, but what can I say if I raise my children to raise their children to honor the true and living God. Now, here's what you see in the rest of the Old Testament. You'll see that God admonishes His people to teach their children, and they're rising up, they're going to bed. You teach them this word. You teach them the law. The book of Proverbs says, You raise him up the way he ought to go. There may be some confusion set into his life, in certain part of his life, but when he's old, he won't depart from it. So uh, you, have the, you have the contrast to that in verse 6, showing loving kindness to thousands of generations, those who love me and those who keep my words or my commandments. And this is, this is, this is something that quite possibly is being lived out before our very eyes in our nation. I mean, there's, there's, there's no doubt in my mind. I did, I did my D-Men dissertation on this back in 19, 
1789. There's, there's no doubt that the, that the colonies and the early settlers and all came on Christian principles. They were escaping Christian persecution, frankly. Uh, and many of their founding documents and charters had in there their, their great desire to evangelize the, the natives who already lived here in the United States of America. They loved them. They wanted to see them, they wanted to see them prosper in the Lord. And, and to, some, to some degree of success, it happened early in history. Um, you know, until <laughs> until other foreign governments get involved and then they get cruel with other people and so forth. Uh, I said all that to say this. In my lifetime, uh, public reading, especially in school, public prayer, public reading of the Bible, uh, the the, the uh, demonstration or exhibition of the name of Jesus, preaching the gospel, evangelizing people, all of these things either on a local level or even on a national level are being, are being uh, made illegal. Uh, then, then what happens after that? I'm like what one preacher said, what is happening today is the fruit of the tree that was planted in the 60s. Uh, the, the Supreme Court, I remember when I was a kid, they used to be these big, in the state of Alabama, these big billboards, impeach Earl Warren. He was the chief justice of that very liberal Supreme Court uh, back in those days. Impeach Earl Warren. Um, but I know that, that uh, they, they made anti-Christian decisions and... Uh, that sort of became a snowball effect, and we're seeing so much more of that. I read where uh, a congressman has introduced a bill the last couple of weeks. I think I've told you this, identifying hate groups, 60 hate groups, who would have their tax-exempt status removed, and one of those hate groups was the American Family Association uh, because of their biblical view of homosexuality. That's a hate group. You, you, you can't... So you can't preach sin as defined in the Bible unless you get labeled as a hate group person. And the next step to that is a terrorist, right? If you're labeled a terrorist now, you don't have any rights as an American anymore. You don't have the right to trial or, or, or any, any rights like an American has. Uh, they take that away from you. Well, okay, here's my point. How many generations now are we past the 60s? And what are we seeing? That's why I said we may be seeing this come to fruition before our very eyes. Kids raised up. I can tell you this. My kids had no option but to go to church. No option. None. They still don't have an option. <laughs> and I know that... I know that as soon as they started waddling around in their little diapers, we started telling them, you need to be saved. You need to be saved. Don't you want to be saved? I'll tell you about Jesus. I mean, to you, you're a sinner. You need to be saved. And our kids were baptized at a very early age, and I don't think they've ever regretted it. They learned, they could, listen, if they could sit there and learn vast portions of a movie that they were watching and relive those scenes as a four- and five-year-old kid, 
They understand about sin and salvation. And there was discipline in our home, but discipline was lost. Uh, Dr. whatever, Spock? Dr. Spock. And I don't know if this is true or not. I haven't verified it, but I read somewhere that he recanted on all of that on his deathbed. He could, he could look at the decades that had gone by and what had happened and said, I was wrong. Because, you know, the Bible tells you to discipline your children. The rod and reproof give wisdom. But a child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. Now think about that. His mother. We always get blamed for everything. Well, who, who has the child all the time? Not the daddy. The mother. Well, that's, yeah, this is, the society's a little different now, a whole lot different. Um, and uh, it, it doesn't say that the mother is the one who swung the rod. It just says that, you know, she would, she would be the one to have to go to daddy and say, you know what he did today? What'd you do today? Yeah, wait till your father gets home. Wait till your daddy gets home. My daddy used to have a, <laughs> my, da my daddy used to have in his bedroom, uh, uh, I don't think it's the one we got now that we got from their house, but it was a bed that had these, these four, these posts that went up and he was whipping my brother and he came back with that belt and it's, it wrapped around that, <laughs> that Oh, what do you call that thing? And he come out and broke that thing off. And my, until the day he died, my brother would laugh about it because that's the one I got out of. He said, Daddy looked at him and said, get out of here. That <laughs> 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 uh, has a fancy, it's a fancy, repaired. it's repaired. You don't even know it ever happened. You have to real, look really close to see it. But he, the one your daddy bought your mother when you were born. That's right, yeah. And uh, he snapped that sucker. <laughs> Get out of here. Uh, well, here, here's the point. I don't know how we ever flow into this thing where discipline is not required of children. I don't know how. You may have seen uh, the law in California recently passed where you can't, uh, what was it? You can't punish. Uh, in other words, you just let kids go. You just don't, you don't question them or anything. They're just... Uh, so the law can't expel the kid. Right, let them get away with anything. It's okay. That that will go so far until things get so bad that some dictator rises or whatever, and then just shoots everybody if they don't do what they're supposed to do. That's kind of an incentive, isn't it? Well, you know, the all right, there's a biblical worldview, and then there's a worldview. And you can label the worldview any other way you want to. Uh, but we've, we've lost, it seems, the biblical worldview, uh, which includes discipline in teaching your children uh, and making them go to church. Uh, and, you know, 
sometimes parents say, "Well, you know, I'll, I'll, I don't want to, I don't want to force my, I don't want to force my child into making some kind of decision, and you know, I just let that. That's his business." Yeah. Without even knowing what a boy or a girl is. But there's no consequences. No, yeah. Well, we're already there. Uh, anyway, I don't know how I got there from here. Oh, the third and fourth generations. So this is like what? The third generation? Good grief. What's the fourth generation going to look like? And then there won't be a fifth generation. It'll, it'll fall into slavery and, and so forth. So that's, you know, that's why the people of God are so careful to keep God at the forefront in their family lives. And then that becomes illegal sooner or later. And you just have to be ready to suffer the consequences. Christ never backed off of that. He never sugarcoated the life of a Christian. Never did. He gave us warning after warning. You follow me. And they're not going to treat you any different than they treated me. Um, let's see. That was that. You call that chasing a rabbit? But I'm back. I'm back to verse. I'm back to verse seven. You, you shall not take the name of Yahweh your God in vain, for Yahweh will not hold blameless or guiltless anyone who takes His name in vain. To make an empty promise, uh, to make his name empty, uh, to treat his name as a byword, like it's, like it's not something special, the name of Yahweh. Uh, and, you know, people, people take the name of Jesus. It's, and Yahweh, Yah, the term Yahweh is in the name Jesus. Um, uh, his, his name is spoken flippantly all the time. I hear kids nine, ten years old, oh God, oh Jesus, forgive me, it's an illustration. Um, and uh, it'll, it, it'll make you cringe. I mean, by words, I, could, I couldn't ever use a by word, you know. Um, anything that, you know, if, you're, if, you're, if my daddy or my mama thought that I was saying something, that was just a substitute for a bad word. I was in just as bad of trouble. The word pregnant was a bad word when I was a kid. Adults would whisper, she's pregnant. <laughs> the word divorce was a bad word. Yeah. They're divorced. You know, you never heard those things um, when, uh, when I was a kid. Uh, so by words are not good. Because so many times they substitute the name. It's, it's a mental and spiritual substitution for the name of, of Yahweh. He will not hold guiltless or blameless anyone who takes his name in vain. So the covenant between Yahweh and Israel also included the truth that Israel was to hold Yahweh in the highest esteem and take great care how they used his name. Now, verse 8 Remember the Sabbath day to sanctify it, to set it apart. I did, I did quite a bit of research on this. Of course, we know this is, the, this is the one that they always tried to nail Jesus with. 
he broke, he broke the Sabbath. Your, your, your disciples broke the Sabbath. They grabbed some husks of grain, <coughs> tossed it in their mouth while they were walking through a field, going from point A to point B. It was on the Sabbath day. Uh, you're breaking the Sabbath. Well, no. They were breaking man-made rules, but this is it. Here you are. Remember the Sabbath day to set it apart, to sanctify it. All right? That, here's what that meant. That meant you don't treat the Sabbath day like you do every other day. Uh, if, uh, if you get up and go out and get on the tractor every day because you've got to work the field, you don't do that on the Sabbath day. If you study this, you will see that there are no particulars about well, what about the little mundane preparations that have to be made or things that have to be done. Nothing said about that. You just don't treat it like every other day. You set it apart because God rested on that day. Six days you can perform your work uh, and all your labor, but on the seventh day, the seventh day is a Sabbath to Yahweh your God. You shall perform no labor, neither you, your son, your daughter, your manservant, maidservant, beast, nor the stranger who is in your cities. For in six days Yahweh made the heaven and the earth, the sea and all that's in them. He rested on the seventh day. Therefore Yahweh blessed the Sabbath day and sanctified it or consecrated it. Okay. What that means is that God was through and he rested. There was nothing else to be done and he honored his work. God could honor himself, nobody higher than him. So he sets that day apart and he rests after those six days. So we rest in the Lord's completed work by, by avoiding doing what we ordinarily would do on that day. That's, that's, that's exactly uh, what that means. And this is part of the covenant constitution, covenant law between Yahweh and Israel. Uh, to go back, there were, there were hundreds of regulations, many of them, most of them, many of them, about what you could do and what you couldn't do on the Sabbath. Now, I've mentioned some of those on Sunday mornings in, in, uh, in sermons about how, how ridiculous they were. Uh, and the whole point would be that, you know, you get to the New Testament and the illustration of the Sabbath is found in the truth of Christ who completed the work, who said it's completed, it's finished, it's accomplished. And you can't add anything to the completed work of Christ and so we rest in Christ. We can't add anything to what Christ uh, has done. Honor your father and your mother in order that your days may be lengthened on the land that the Lord your God, that Yahweh your God is giving you. Okay. In general, do kids honor their parents? Then the land won't last much longer. That's the truth of God. Where there is an honor to the parents, and it says father and mother, and I was reading some just heartbreaking statistics about, I think more than half the kids now are going to grow up in a single parent home. 
Uh, and, um, <laughs> well, it's just bad. Uh, I don't want to chase that rabbit either. But it's the truth of God is your days will be lengthened on the land in the culture where the children honor their parents. That's a strong household. That's how, that's how nations are built, on strong households. When that doesn't exist, the land cannot stand very long. Verse 13, you shall not murder or assassinate. It's very plain in the, uh, in the, in the language there. You'll find later in the Old Testament that the Israelites are ordered to go out and kill people. God knows best. Who am I to argue with God when he orders David's army or anybody else to go forth and, and kill people? Uh, but this is murder. What this is talking about is murder, the senseless taking of a life. You shall not commit adultery. Now I'm going to stop here. I told you I was going to reference these Fertility goddesses and all this kind of stuff. If you just look at this, and a lot of this is in the masculine, so here's here's what here's what you can. I mean, you can say you men should not commit adultery. Okay, if you said it that way, then you would you would say, well, I'm a woman, I can commit adultery, right? Or it's just adultery, so I can do all these other things. All right, here's what happens. In Numbers and then in Leviticus, the principles of sexual misbehavior, sexual sin, are established so that finally in Exodus, I mean in Leviticus, the, the, the sexual sin of a human being didn't necessarily, I mean you knew what the principle was, but because they were headed to Canaan where such awful things were happening, it was, it was listed specifically. You shall not look upon the nakedness of your mother or your father, or, or in the case of Olivia, you shall not look upon the nakedness, you shall not, you shall not uh, have your sister, or, or you shall not commit incest, you shall not, uh, you shall, you shall, a man shall not lay with a man like he lays with a woman, nor a woman with a woman. Uh, you shall not lay with an animal. All these things are in the Bible. Now somebody could look at this right here and they say, well, okay. Um, I mean, I can make some crude jokes here, but I'm not going to. <laughs> that would involve goats and other things, but I refuse to go there. Um, somebody might think, well, you know, I can get away with that. Adultery, okay, I'll, I'll, stay, I'll stay true to my wife, but uh, it's, that's crazy. Um, these other 603, I think, laws, 613 total, they're, they're, this is the foundation of them and they're developed on from then on until the end of the law, the Torah, the five books of Moses. Uh, so, for example, what is murder? What if I was out... Uh, what if I was out cleaning my gun and I shot the guy sitting next to me and killed him? Is that murder? Well, there, there's a development of law 
that says this, you know, this is manslaughter. You're gonna, you're gonna owe a fine, and you're gonna have to, you're gonna have to repay the family for the terrible things been done. But this is not really murder, you know. So we're not gonna take you out and stone you to death or whatever. Uh, there are, there, it's tweaked as you go forward in the Torah. Uh, you shall not steal. So property rights for the people of God very important. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Um, that's, that's fairly self-explanatory. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. Now, does that mean you shouldn't really want something? <laughs> what was that car that Amanda always wanted? Geo, uh, Geo Tracker. Geo Tracker. It used to be a little Chevrolet car about that long. It's called a Geo Tracker. And there were little kids, and she would say, we'd be riding somewhere, and she'd say, oh, I want that one. Tracker, tracker. I'd ask, now this is a teachable moment. I said, no, that's covetousness. <laughs> From now on, what you say is, I want one like that one. <laughs> yeah, so it got, it got down to one like it. Well, that goes on to the other four. So it, it gets beyond the geo tracker so that anything they ever saw, one like it, one like it. <laughs> but that's not covetousness, see? Uh, <laughs> There's some things kids never forget, right? You shall not covet your neighbor's house, neighbor's wife, manservant, maidservant, ox, donkey, or whatever belongs to your neighbor. So you see, that's something that, that someone else is in possession in. And uh, this, this kind of covetousness uh, is a grievous sin before the Lord. Now, it, it shifts gears here. And all the people saw the thunderings and lightning flashes, the sound of the shofar, the smoking mountain, and the people saw and trembled, and they stood from afar. They said to Moses, you speak with us and we'll hear, but let Elohim not speak with us lest we die. <laughs> yeah. You go on, Moses, we're right behind you. <laughs> Moses said to the people, fear not, for Elohim has come in order to test you in order that his awe or his fear will be upon your faces so that you will not sin. Yahweh wants you to understand that there is no other God. There is no other God anywhere that can demonstrate this kind of power. And this kind of thing stayed with them, you know. Uh, and they knew there was no other God. This, the, the, this God demonstrates himself and it also establishes Moses as his minister, his, his intermediary. Um, and here's the reason. So that his all will be upon you, on your, on your faces, so that you will not sin. The people remained far off, but Moses drew near to the opaque darkness where Elohim was. Yahweh said to Moses, so will you say to the sons of Israel, you have seen that from the heavens I have spoken with you. You will not make images of anything that is near me or with me. Gods of silver or gods of gold you will not make for yourselves. Let me tell you something. You can't impress God. Right? It doesn't have, it doesn't, I'm, I don't, let me, I, I, it doesn't matter how many cubic inches or how many square inches are contained of stained glass within your sanctuary windows. 
It doesn't matter how many pipes your pipe organ has. It doesn't matter. You can't impress God. Uh, so, so God is saying, just, I'm looking at your heart. I'm not looking at your stuff. I'm looking at your heart. So, you don't make anything and bring it near me, even if it's silver or gold. Yes? Where do you go too far off? What's the significance of Elohim is in the opaque darkness? That's just the, uh, that's just the uh, translation of the word. It's a, it's a special darkness that they had not experienced before. Um, apparently, now this is the gospel according to Charles. You can take it or leave it. Apparently, the form of Moses could still be seen for a great way in. Okay, so it wasn't like he, it's not like God was darkness. It's like that God had this fiery, billowy smoke kind of appearance that was unlike anything that billowed out from, from the mountaintop. But God was not darkness. And I think if, if I, would, I would infer from the language here that Moses, for a while at least, could still be seen and they could see that he wasn't being consumed by the darkness, but that, but that, but that, but that God in his presence was accepting the presence of Moses, which otherwise... Would be on it. He, he told everybody else, "Don't you come up here? Don't you come up here?" That's the best way I know. I, it's just it's just the way that, it's just the the strictest translation of the Hebrew text. I just wonder if it had anything to do with the darkness during the crucifixion, the darkness that fell. Well, now that's a good uh, that's a good thing to that's a good thing to study. Will you do that for me? I will. <laughs> That's my job. <laughs> yeah, I will. I will. I'll look into that. Yeah. Well, of course. But but this was yeah. But yeah. But this was still this was still an expression or a, an image to the people that Moses was going to be into the presence of God as far as God would allow somebody to be in His presence. Uh, and not be consumed. So I, I would think, given the description, it wasn't like the blackness of darkness. It was like it's dark, but I still kind of see him there. There was, there was more than just darkness because up above there, oh, yeah, it was, there was thunder, there was lightning flashing, the trumpet, the chauffeur. The trumpet. Mm -hmm. So there was more than just darkness. Yeah. Uh, the 1611 uh, uses thickness. It would certainly be a contrast from true darkness because in him is no darkness, you know. Uh, let's see. Uh, Maybe it's just a curtain that was pulled between the people the transaction. I think you're right, yeah. And my guess is, my guess is it, it went away quickly when, when God was through doing, making his presence known in a visible sense. I mean, he was still there, 
but for them to see uh, the presence of God. It was, it was certainly out of the ordinary, not anything like they'd ever seen, I'm sure. Yahweh said to Moses, so you will say to the sons of Israel, you have seen uh, that from the heavens I have spoken with you. So there is, a, there is one clarification. You have seen that this is me. So the opaque darkness was different. It's, it's, it's something that is peculiar to God. You will not make images of anything that is near me. Uh, won't make it for yourselves. Uh, you can't impress God again. Now, an altar of earth you will make for me. You will sacrifice beside it your burnt offerings and your peace offerings, your sheep, your oxen, and in every place where I record my name, I will come to you and I will bless you. And when you make for me an altar of stone, you will not build them of hewn stones, lest you wield your tool upon it and desecrate it or profane it. You will not ascend with steps upon my altar so that your nakedness will not be exposed upon it. Now, again, God is saying you can't impress me. What we were studying today in Luke, Jesus said, not one stone be left on one another. The disciples have said, look at these stones. And the description in history of how highly polished they were, they were not marble, but they were so polished they appeared to be marble. And they had gilded gold on the eastern side. Uh, and I'm, I'm sure that was supposed to impress God. I, I don't know. Uh, but here, it's a, stone, it's a stone cut without hands. Christ is seen in the Daniel, in the book of Daniel, when the, when the image of Nebuchadnezzar's image comes come tumbling down, this mountain, this thing cut without hands, crashes into his feet and the whole thing collapses. Of course, that's, that's Christ. You can't, you have to be very humble in worship uh, and very sincere. And you can't, you can't try to be impressive to God, not in anything that you do, not even in the altar. If it's an altar of earth, okay, what, a mound that is naturally there? Then, then you can you can go to that mound and you can offer, or if it's out where there's no mound like that, but you want to make it on stones, make it on stones that are not cut, that have been hewn by the tools of man. Uh, not a man may think. See, that goes to the Tower of Babel. The Tower of Babel was all man-made. The bricks, the mortar, everything was man-made. They didn't take stone. Uh, it was all man-made stuff. And, and God is just simply saying, you've got to worship me in simplicity and in humility and in honesty and in, uh, in, in, in true reverence. You don't concern yourself with the stuff that you may think attends to the worship. This thing is between us. So you just take the altar of earth like it is or the stone like it is. Uh, and don't go, up, don't go up any steps. Don't put yourself on demonstration uh, in any way. This is a simple and true thing, worship is. It is a simple and true thing that is between the worshiper and the creator. All right, we'll, we'll, we'll revisit the opaque darkness next time.
uh, and any other thing and, and get some clarifications on interesting things here. And God willing, we'll, we'll go to the next thing the next time. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word and how marvelous it is to us, God. We just pray that you'll teach us to hide your word in our hearts that we won't sin against you. In Jesus' name, amen.